Welcome to the Storytime Clinic, where children's books and health collide. I'm your host, pediatrician Dr. Mfan Umwarin, and in every episode, I spotlight a children's book featuring a character with a health condition. My goal is to inspire conversations that will help all of us better understand and support kids with health conditions. Hello, friends. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Storytime Clinic. You guys are joining me back for episode number 32, and we're still in January, the first month of this fresh, brand new year of 2022. Well, in the last episode, we spoke about goal setting, and we used the acronym SAME to talk about four different categories that we could focus on and we could do more of these things with our children in the year 2022. So we talked about sleep, we talked about adventure, movement, and eating more vegetables. Now, one of the best ways to remember goals that we have set for ourselves is to have them somewhere visible that we can come back to again and again, just to refresh our minds of the goals that we set. And some people like to do this in the form of what's called a vision board. And if you don't know what that is, I like to refer to it as arts and crafts for adults. It's basically scrapbooking. <laughs> but what people do is they find different images that are representative of the goals that they've set for themselves. So for example, if you are if you're setting a goal to exercise or to run every day, then you might cut out and find a picture of somebody who is running on the beach or something like that. <laughs> and so that you have that visual reminder of the thing that you have decided for yourself. And so you could put um, different, maybe cut out images from magazines or uh, texts, you know, of motivational quotes or whatever it is. So it's it's like a creative project. Again, that's why I say it's arts and crafts. You know, people who, who enjoy the arts, enjoy making things, and especially are motivated by visual things. This is kind of a good medium for just reminding yourself of your goals, of your vision for that year. Now, when we talk about vision, we know that there's a couple of different meanings of the word vision. In this scenario, I've talked about it in terms of what our goals or what our dreams are, the vision. But vision can also refer to sight. Now, in this episode, we're actually going to be bringing those two definitions together, and we are going to be talking about two individuals whose visions changed the world for people with visual impairments. And we'll be using two fantastic children's picture book biographies to talk about Louis Braille and Dr. Patricia Bath. Don't know who they are? Stay tuned. We're going to fix that for you. That's what we're here for. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about childhood visual impairment. How big is this problem? Well, some of the most recent statistics show that about 550,000 children in the U.S. live with a visual impairment. And this means that even after the best correction possible, so whether it's glasses and uh, surgeries and contact lenses, even after the best correction possible, these children still significantly struggle with vision. 
And when we look at a bit more detailed uh, definition, there are about 55,000 children in the educational setting right now who are legally blind. So having their best vision be 20 over 200 at best, or having a really, really narrow visual field. So what are some of the things that can cause childhood blindness? Well, unfortunately, some of these events are set up even before that little baby can come into the world. For example, if a pregnant woman catches certain types of viral infections while she's pregnant, these are things like rubella, which is the German measles, or chickenpox, those infections put that child at risk of having congenital cataracts. The cataract is when the lens of the eye is cloudy. Usually the lens has to be clear to allow whatever we're seeing that image to go into the eye, into the back of the brain where it is processed as an image. So if a child is born with a cataract, this can lead to blindness unless the cataract is removed. So this is one of the things that a pediatrician is going to be looking for when we do our first physical exam on a newborn baby. We're going to be looking for any signs of a cataract. We're also going to be just looking at the structure of the eye and seeing does it look normal? Do we see all the parts that are meant to be there? A child may have problems or abnormalities in the way the eye was formed in the womb. And this can sometimes be a result of a genetic condition or uh, something of that nature. But that can also affect the way the nerves of the eye are formed, which are going to affect vision. An abnormal structure of the eye can also put the child at risk for developing glaucoma, which is a high pressure in the eye that again can cause nerve damage and can cause blindness. Another thing we know is that premature babies are at risk of having conditions that can lead to blindness as well. So in a premature child, the back of their eye, the retina, is not fully formed yet. And as we do lots of treatments to try and help them in the neonatal ICU, some of the things that we do, such as giving oxygen um, at a high rate, can actually affect the way the vessels form in the back of the eye. And if we're not careful with that, and we do not do routine exams and intervene when necessary, this can also lead to blindness. Now, after a child is born and out and in the world, there's many other things that can also cause blindness. So infection continues to be a risk factor. When a baby is going through the birth canal, they have a risk of getting an infection, a conjunctivitis, so an infection of the eye, um, particularly if their mom has had certain sexually transmitted infections. And so that's something that we need to screen for, monitor, and treat as soon as possible. Measles is another common childhood illness, less common now, still prevalent in other parts of the world, that in complicated cases can lead to blindness. Outside of infections, we think about other things such as diet. So in places where children are very malnourished, having a deficiency or not enough vitamin A is definitely a risk factor for poor eye health and blindness, especially night blindness, so blindness in dark environments. And then finally, at any age whatsoever, trauma, injury to the eye, 
that's going to be a huge, huge risk factor for blindness. And so that's why all the parents say, if you're a little child, don't run around the house with scissors in your hand. <laughs> there is wisdom behind that. Which brings me to the case of Louis Braille. And no, his injury was not the result of running around with scissors, but close. So let's talk about that. Who was Louis Braille? Louis Braille was a young French boy. He was born in the 1800s. And his vision was to be able to read on his own. Why is that such a revolutionary vision, you might ask? Kids read by themselves all the time. What, what's the big deal? Well, Louis was blind. Louis Braille was blind as a result of an accident that he had had very early on. So he was about four years old and being the young, rambunctious child that he was, um, he was trying to help his dad out in his workshop and reached for a sharp tool that ended up falling and damaging his eye. Now, this was the 1800s. It was pre-antibiotic era. And so when that eye got infected, it spread and then it ended up spreading to the other eye. And so for Louis, by the time he was five years old, he was blind as a result of that injury and that infection. So now, the book that I read about Louis Braille's life is a picture book. It's a children's book, nice and short, but it's really good. The book is called Six Dots, The Story of Louis Braille. And the illustrations in the book are excellent because it really shows, depicts that difference between when Louis could see and then when his world was kind of thrust into darkness. And it shows us the process that he had to go through to relearn his environment um, and learn how to use his other senses. So use his ears, use his fingers, use those tactile senses to, to feel and get used to the world around him. But Louis was a really curious boy, and he wanted to learn. And he didn't want to just be dependent on other people to read to him. He wanted to be able to access that knowledge himself. So eventually, Louis has the opportunity to go to the Royal School for the Blind in Paris. And it's while he's there that he gets introduced to a code that has been invented by a French army captain for passing discreet secret messages out in the battlefield. Before this time, books for blind children were very few and far between, and they were sort of composed of alphabets that were raised up, so like big waxy alphabets on a page that the child could trace with their hands. But understandably, the letters were very large, and so there really wasn't a lot of space to put many sentences in a book. So books were very, very short, and this was not satisfactory to young Louis. But once he heard about this French army captain's code, Louis was intrigued. He was like, this could be it. This might be my chance to read. It turns out the code was pretty complicated. So each symbol was made up of several dots, but it stood for sounds. It was hard to understand, and all the rest of the students in the school gave up on it pretty quickly. But Louis felt that there was something there that he could probably work around and tweak 
into something that was easier to learn and was easier to use for children who were blind. Now, Louis was probably, he was a teenager, like an early teenager when he had this idea and he worked on it and he worked on it and he worked on it for several years until finally, when he was 15 years old in 1824, Louis Braille created a system for reading and writing for blind people. And this is what we now still know today as Braille. So what exactly is Braille? Well, Braille is a system of raised dots that can be read using the fingers. So if you think about it, it's almost like a code, you know, taking something that would normally be visualized and turning it into a system that can be felt instead. So each letter of the alphabet is represented by a different pattern of dots. Now, you have probably seen Braille in uh, different public places. You might have seen it in the elevators. You might have seen it uh, under the sign saying male or female in public bathrooms. So if you look really closely and if you pay attention, Braille can be recognized in many different places. Even today, even 200 years after the system was invented, of course, it's been translated and it's been changed and it's been modified through the years to make it more effective and more usable, but a system that came from the vision and the persistence and the efforts of a 15-year-old kid are still being used 200 years later. I think that is absolutely amazing. And Braille is not just limited to letters. There's also Braille representation of numbers, of music, it can be used in mapping. So there's many different applications in different areas. One of the big motivations for Louis Braille in coming up with this system is really not wanting to be dependent on other people for his access to information, to knowledge, but being able to do that himself. And I think that he really paved the way and gave this opportunity to thousands and thousands of blind people who came after him. And so the significance of what he's done is so much so that there's actually a National Braille Day. In case you did not know, January 4th is National Braille Day. And so this just commemorates his works and his efforts to help the visually impaired. Now, unfortunately, less than 10% of children who are visually impaired or blind are actually using Braille these days. And part of that is because there are not enough teachers who know Braille uh, to meet the needs of the amount of students that we have who need it. There's also not enough Braille books that are available for kids to learn with. But I think also as technology has evolved and developed, we have a couple of different things that are standing in place of this now. So there might be more use of audio formats. So audiobooks or screen readers that can read text from uh, from a computer, from an electronic version, and turn it into something audio. So there's many different tools that can be used to help children who are visually impaired um, gain access to knowledge these days. But having a written mode of communication is still relevant. So big ups to Louis Braille. Great things you did. The name of the book that I spoke about is called Six Dots, The Story of Louis Braille. I think it's an excellent children's picture book biography, definitely one you should consider getting for your shelf.
the second book that I want to bring to your attention is called The Doctor Who Had an Eye for Eyes, the story of Dr. Patricia Bath. Now, this is also a picture book. It is also a biography. And the icing on the cake is that it is written in rhyme. This this was pretty impressive. I, I was impressed. <laughs> Exhibit A. I'm just going to give you a little teaser of the first page. And it goes a little something like this. <laughs> if you like to think big, but some say you're too small, or they say you're too young, or too slow, or too tall, pay no mind to their doubts and just follow the path of one awesome inventor, Patricia E. Bath. Bam! <laughs> okay, the rest of the book is equally as awesome and inspirational. So let's get to talking about Dr. Patricia Bath. Who was she? Well, Patricia Bath was a little girl who was born in Harlem in 1942. And her vision for her life was to become a doctor. Now, why was this so revolutionary? What, what was so special about this vision? Well, Dr. Patricia Bath grew up at a time where medical schools were predominantly male and predominantly white. So she had a couple of different obstacles working against her as an African-American girl. But Patricia was determined, she was persistent, and eventually she did achieve her goal of becoming a doctor. When she became a doctor, Dr. Patricia Beth took a special interest in the eyes, and she focused on this area of medicine, so she became an ophthalmologist. And when Dr. Bath began her practice, she began to notice that there were some disparities, there were some differences in the patients that she was treating. So the patients, the African-American patients, the poorer patients, tended to have blindness and visual impairments at a significantly higher rate than their white counterparts did. And she was really interested in finding out why this was the reason and also figuring out ways to prevent this from happening. So this really became her life mission, to end preventable blindness. Throughout her life, Dr. Beth wore many different hats. She wore the hat of a teacher, an educator, where she was the first female uh, ophthalmology residency program director. She also wore the hat of an inventor, where she invented what was called the laser focal probe. And this became really, really instrumental in the treatment of cataracts. And you'll remember back at the beginning of the episode, I said that congenital cataracts is one of the reasons why a child may become blind. And so this invention of Dr. Batts is something that is continuing to help children in this situation. Another really important thing that she did is that she founded an organization called the American Institute for the Prevention of Blindness. And even though it says American in the title, this institute did a lot of global charity work. So the other things that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode that can cause blindness in children, we talked about things like measles, vitamin A deficiency, and an infection of the eye called conjunctivitis. 
And through this organization, Dr. Patricia Bath was able to make a difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of children across the world by putting in preventive measures to stop these things from happening. So for conjunctivitis, that infection of the eyes, her organization made sure that there were preventative eye drops available. For vitamin A deficiency, they made sure that there were vitamin A supplements that were available to help with these children who weren't getting enough in their diet. And then with the case of measles, they supported vaccination campaigns to help decrease the rates of measles infection that could possibly lead to blindness. So through many different pathways and avenues, Dr. Patricia Beth had a hand in improving the quality of life and decreasing the likelihood of visual impairment across the world. This was a very inspirational story to read about in this picture book. Unfortunately, Dr. Bath passed away in 2019, but her legacy continues to live on. That organization, the American Institute for the Prevention of Blindness, is still active. They still do all the activities that I mentioned earlier. They're also involved in other things like making sure that children from low-income families are able to have access to eyeglasses. So I think this is an amazing book to read and discuss with children. It's one that's very engaging, but it's also very inspirational as well. You know, we do see the obstacles that Dr. Patricia has to overcome to achieve her vision, but we also see the determination and the efforts that she puts into achieving that goal. Again, the name of this book is called The Doctor Who Had an Eye for Eyes, The Story of Dr. Patricia Bath. This is definitely one that I would recommend to get for your children, for your classroom if you're a teacher. This is a really good book. Now, I am going to have some additional resources in the show notes if you are interested in just finding out a little bit more about visual impairment or blindness in childhood and um, resources that are available to these children or how you can help. One such website is called familyconnect.org. This is a website that's really geared towards supporting parents of children who are visually impaired or are blind. They have a wealth of information and resources, everything from supporting children with blindness at different ages, um, knowing how to interact with the education system, knowing your rights within that system and your child's rights within that system, and how to even prepare children for reading or for education or for school, how to set them up with the right skills even before they get to school age. So lots of really interesting things to explore there. And then, just for fun, there's a resource called Braille Bug, and it uses a bunch of activities, games, puzzles, those kinds of things to introduce people to the code that is Braille. So um, again, it's not real Braille in the sense that it's not tactile, you're not feeling it, it is projected on the computer screen or whatever electronic device you're using, but it's just an interesting experience or activity just to get an idea of what Braille is like. 
So I will have links for both of those things on there. Okay. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me again on this episode. I hope that it has been informational. I hope you've learned something. Please share it with friends. And that is a wrap. I will see you next time. For the show notes and links to the books I cover in this episode, please head over to the podcast website at www.storytimeclinic.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may be interested. I'd also love to hear from you if you have book suggestions or health topics you'd like to see me cover. If you want to give me some feedback and help me make this podcast more valuable for you, you can leave a review on iTunes or send me an email at thestorytimeclinic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode.